Welcome to the Inside OU Podcast, brought to you by New Balance of Edmond, featuring Keegan Renault from SoonersWire.com, powered by USA Today, and Brady Trantham. Hello, Brady. Bob Stoops here. Appreciate the great Sooner fan that you are and have been for all these years. Boomer Sooner. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Inside OU Podcast with Keegan Renault and yours truly, Brady Trantham. Oklahoma wins its sixth consecutive Big 12 championship in a 27-21 victory over the Iowa State Cyclones. So Oklahoma getting some payback for the October 3rd loss to the Cyclones earlier in the year. And Oklahoma has a date now with the Florida Gators uh, in the Cotton Bowl. And as of right now... They shouldn't show up. They shouldn't even show up, Brady. We will will get there. We've got some... We've got... tiny bit of bullet points to get to first, but as of right now, Oklahoma's playing in the Cotton Bowl, and Keegan, you were on all the press conferences today with uh, OU coaches and players and Florida coaches and players, so we're going to get to a lot of that, I promise, Uh, but as of right now, it seems like Oklahoma, and this could change, is going down there without uh, Trey Brown, who is opting out of the uh, bowl game and preparing for the NFL draft. And I ate crow on the post game pod, but because that is a Patreon podcast only for all of the free listeners, do not worry. We'll talk a little bit about the Big 12 championship game on Saturday, and I will eat crow because Mike's guys, hashtag Mike's guys, kicked a lot of ass on Saturday against Iowa State. And as well as backup quarterback Tanner Mordecai, who is now an SMU pony, and TJ Pledger, who is now in the transfer portal. Uh, which bums me out because I did like me some TJ Pledger and the few opportunities he got this year, especially in Texas when he rushed for over 100 yards. So um, good luck to those guys. Of course, thank you for the memories from an OU fan here. Um, But Keegan, oh yeah, also one more thing. Do not worry, everybody. We're going to still be putting out these podcasts, even though the season is all but over yet without the, with uh, the bowl game, of course, being left because there is still recruiting to look forward to. And God willing, we can... God willing, we can have a spring, a normal spring football season once we get there. But a lot of things, of course, around the, you know, in real, in the real life, in reality, have to happen for us to get there. Uh, So do not worry. Inside OU won't go away like it did during the pandemic when we were all trying to figure out what to do. Um, It won't go away. It will continue in some way, shape or form. And especially, uh, of course, still with Patreon. So also, if you don't mind, if you haven't already, please leave us um, a review, five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Really easy. It takes five seconds. We will greatly appreciate it if you do so. Now, Keegan, where do you want to start? Because you were already kind of teasing a little bit of the, oh, you shouldn't show up. Um, you talked to everybody today, and I listed the players who won't be there, and I'm assuming that... Play, some players here and there are going to make some decisions public in the next few days because they really only have this week to decide if they don't want to play or not. Um, it's not that long of a turnaround, obviously, with the game being on December 30th. But just overall reaction coming down from the Big 12 championship uh, win, once again, all the press conferences with the bowl matchup against Florida, guys leaving, guys opting out on both sides. Florida is going to be up without one of their best players and Kyle Pitts, their big tight end. Just, it's a lot to cover. It is, and today was interesting. Well, sorry. Today was boring until it wasn't. We did six hours of Zoom calls, Brady Trantham. 
Yeah, I have, um, I have been, I've been on the other side of that before and it's, it is not fun. Uh, I thought when the Thunder were going to do media day, it ended up being media week, which thank God, because I can't imagine um, sitting at my computer for more than four hours, three hours, trying to cover a team. Media day, like normal times, is long, but at least you're there and you can kind of like mosey around with the players and coaches and it's a little bit of a different vibe. So time kind of flies in that instance. But yeah, over a computer screen, that sucks. Yeah, it wasn't fun. Um, but we did get to talk to a bunch of the Oklahoma guys, and it just seems like this is a group that does seem ready. They, they kind of embrace the challenge that Florida's going to be. Uh, you can definitely tell. And then Florida, like, the coaches were just weird. Dude, the media for Florida was wild. Did you see my tweet about Todd Grantham? Right out of the gate. Yeah, he's getting asked about job security. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they came after him. But it was just weird. Like, the Florida media, I, I'm not going to put any – throw anybody under the bus or anything, but it was very like some of the Oklahoma media that we complain about, but it was everybody besides maybe one. So, that made things a little bit interesting, just hearing softballs being lobbed up left and right. Uh, one, of the, <laughs> one of the guys that asked a question, Brady, was, I guess, writing a story on, like, if the players want to play for Dan Mullen or something. Why was like, and then yeah, he was like asking them, "Hey, like, how much do you guys respect your head coach, like, to these players in these press conferences?" And was like, "Yeah, he's kind of been thrown through the fire this year, and maybe hasn't deserved some of the crap he's been getting." And I was like, uh, uh, "Okay," but <laughs> then at the very end, Brady, we got our little taste for the next week. We can let it. We can let that milk for a week. See, that's the worst part is that we won't talk to the guys, I don't think, until after they get back. So on probably Sunday or Monday, that's going to be baking for four days, that quote is. And do you want to read it? Do you have it pulled up? Actually, I have the link right here. Playing there. Um, I've never actually played in the Cowboys Stadium. Uh, I did go to the game when we played Michigan my freshman year. Um, and I lo actually love this, the, the stadium. Um, I love how it's set up, the indoors. And it almost feels like a basketball arena, which I really like. Um, but uh, I don't think we're too much worried about uh, home field advantage or teams being closer there. Um, I think this is, is more about uh, the, what we, what we want to put on film, what we want to put on tape, uh, going out and um, just showing what, what the Florida Gators can do, uh, showing that uh, Oklahoma is – is uh, a good match, but um, they're not uh, on our level. They're not SEC. They're not the Florida Gators. So um, we should uh, put on a good show. Now, Keegan, I'm going to tell you what I told some of my friends when I <laughs> saw that quote on Twitter from – it might have been from you. It might have been from Jason Kersey of The Athletic. I don't know where I saw it first, but I saw it in text form, and it made me feel a certain kind of way. And it got my competitive OU football psycho fan juices flowing. And I'm like, all right, thank God. I've already said that I'm not a big bulletin board guy, but I would rather the other team give OU the bulletin board material than the other way around. So I was like, thank God we didn't have a Lindy Holmes situation here. Thank you, Jesus. And then about an hour or so later, I actually see the clip on Twitter. Someone posted the entire answer that he was talking about. And I got to say, it can be interpreted like, 
in two different ways. It can be yeah, no, I, sure. it can be interpreted in the way that OU fans are taking it right now and running with it. Or you can, at least how I listened to it and interpreted it when I was watching it was, oh, well, he's just basically saying it's our job, you know, as the Florida Gators to make OU look bad. Which, yeah, yeah that's what you want to do. You want to make your opponent look bad by outplaying them, by out-scheming them, by out-executing them. I didn't see it as a straight up like, oh, you has no business in this game on this field with us, which is kind of the sentiment that when you see the, the tweet of the quote. But if you want to get mad about that, fine, you can, because while at the same time, it was fairly. He, he said, knew what he was doing. He knew what he was doing. So if you whether way you want to go with it is fine with me, basically. Yeah, I think everything was cool with the quote. I was cool with what he was saying in that whole thing. And then they're not on our level. Like, I don't think that, like, if he's a, a fan of college football, if he gets it, like, he knows that Florida's not on Oklahoma's level. Like, that's the difference for me. It's like, it's like I, don't, I don't think Florida's, like, on a grander stage and they don't act – at least Florida fans, like, whenever you right now they are obviously but they're playing Oklahoma but for the most part like whenever you hear fan bases from the SEC talking it's usually like Alabama Georgia A&M Tennessee in the offseason every year it's usually not Florida so like I just don't get why he would even say that well this this is they're the, not SEC, they're not the Florida Gators, so we should put on a good show. Yeah, so this is the problem that the casual fan will have with the SEC, with the myth of the SEC, um, is because schools like a Texas AM, even though they're I guess technically worthy of a playoff spot this year and that they were in the conversation, they did go what 10 and 1, 11 and 1. So, you know, give them give them their props. But the Texas AMs, the the Mississippi States, you know, that tier of program, the SEC, you know, they will trumpet their conference and in so doing trumpet themselves as to this is why we're five and seven is because we have to play Alabama. And so when Alabama does something great, it pumps them up. When LSU does something great like they did last year and had one of the, if not the best team in college football history, it trumpets everybody else. And so while Florida did have their day in the sun in the SEC in the uh, prior to the 2010s, they've fallen off significantly since Urban Meyer went to Ohio State, uh, but they've kind of got back up. They, they seem to be kind of like an OU problem where they can't have two things at once. They can't have a great defense with an offense that can move the chains, or they can't have a great offense without a defense that can't get off the field on third down like they have this year, at least in the SEC. So at the same time, you've had your moment in the sun, Florida. You won two national titles in the 2000s. But since then, it's not been the same story. And so to sit there and just say, oh, yeah, we've seen Oklahoma go, to, go up against the SEC in the playoff and get their door, you know, blown open. So it's just going to happen here, right? OU was getting their door blow up, blown open by Alabama and that same LSU team that I just mentioned. Florida is good. And by no means do I think that this is going to be um, a shoe in win for either team. Either team can win this game. It's going to be very influential what players decide to play and what players decide not to play, of course. But Florida can definitely win this game and Oklahoma can definitely win this game. This is not a, 
man, I hope Alabama overlooks Oklahoma for a few minutes and gives us a chance. Or, man, I hope LSU is just kind of a fraud because of their defense. This is just a straight-up – Oklahoma can beat Florida. Don't, don't think of the past, recent, recent history with OU and the SEC, because this is not an example of that, at least going into the game. Yeah, this is not – this is not the same Florida Gator SEC defense, just the defense. They're, they're barely undisciplined. LSU is having guys running wide open. Um, this is not this is not the same, like I said, just vaunted SEC defense. And whenever you go look, what's funny is I am kind of petty, and you know how petty I am. I went to the PFF grades yeah. on the year, and I just did total snaps and just worked my way down. Like, this guy's not even on, like, the first eight pages of total snaps on the year, nor whenever you go to grades amongst every linebacker, which is, like, one play or, you know, 400 plays. Like, it took me past the seventh, eighth page to get there. So, it's uh, was interesting to hear it coming from him. But regardless, Brady, it's Cotton Bowl. It's the Cotton Bowl. It's Florida. Um, do you want to go back to the Big 12 Championship a little bit? I've watched, I've watched enough to know – what I remember from the game in its entirety. And I think you are aware of such. Yeah, go right ahead. Oklahoma's, this is right off the bat. Oklahoma's not winning a national championship if Spencer Rattler plays the way he did on Saturday. Well, no. And I, but again, just like I said, multiple people would, multiple people that I talk to for information have been very critical. Yeah, well, again, like I said on the post-game show, that's his ninth game as the Oklahoma starting quarterback. And he's playing on a team that the offensive line is good. It's better than it was last year, but it is by no means in the same atmosphere as 2017's or 2018's offensive line. And maybe it's not their fault. Maybe they weren't ever able to really reach their ceiling as a unit because of all the um, disadvantages of playing a football season during a pandemic going into the year. And then of course the, the big monkey wrench that the Baylor game was and that it affected Oklahoma's rhythm and their momentum. And then of course, not being able to play West Virginia. So who knows if it's that, because a lot of Spencer Rattler's problems I feel are more just because the pocket is not breaking down, but it's definitely not clean. And when you're talking about a quarterback as young as he is, He's making mistakes, but thank God he's not turning the ball over. If he was making mistakes and they were resulting oh, in turnovers, he should have turned the ball over once on Saturday. He should have, but thank God, but he didn't. Sometimes you just got to get lucky. But the reason why I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt there is because ever since Texas, he's cleaned up the turnovers. That was our big question for him after Kansas State, after Iowa State, where, I mean, is this going to be the experience where you have a young redshirt freshman quarterback and you're just going to have to live with the turnovers? And he really cleaned that up. So it makes me feel better going into the Cotton Bowl and especially going into 2021 that with a normal offseason and perhaps more continuity along the offensive line and getting some more young, talented guys in there, uh, perhaps we can see an elevated version of Spencer Rattler where he's not missing those easy gimme throws and those 275, 300-yard passing games turn into 400, even 450-yard passing games. It's the difference, and <laughs> you'll like this. So, obviously, no you players or anybody listens to this, so this is what makes it perfect to say this. So, like, the questions I've been asking Spencer Rattler lately 
have been like questions that he'll he knows I know the answer to right like in terms of today I asked him like how's it been like fighting the balance of you know how aggressive you have been as a quarterback growing up and this and that and you know taking dump offs taking underneath routes you know just how has it been balance you know I know the answer to that question yeah um I asked him two to three weeks ago if he was seeing after Bedlam Brady if he was seeing the things on the football field that like Lincoln is seeing, like, do you think I know the answer to that? <laughs> well, so my point is, is that he answered the question really well today. The first time when I kind of asked him a question like that, he no answered it. Offense is doing better work coming together, this and that. But today he did give a really, I thought thought out answer and Oklahoma. Here's the difference though. Here's the difference is that Spencer Rattler can grow up like this whenever Oklahoma has a defense playing the way it is. If yes. Oklahoma did not have – if this was 2017-2018, like this team would not would have not won the Big 12 championship. Um, I'd be interested to see where OU's SP Plus is at after a Saturday because it was, you know, in danger of falling out of the top five. OU hasn't had a – not a top five SP, SP Plus offense since 2015, Brady. Yeah, um, I wonder how much of that is, and this is going to be kind of the the big question going into the Cotton Bowl, is we know Oklahoma's defense is good, and we especially know that it's really good in regards, or relatively speaking, to the Big 12. Um, because we've seen Oklahoma defenses against bad teams give up career performances either on the ground or through the air. So whether or not it's just because the Big 12 is down offensively and especially at the quarterback position, because when you're talking about Brock Purdy being uh, the first team all Big 12, Sam Ellinger being second team all Big 12, and we know that that's all BS because Spencer Rattler wasn't on any of those teams. He's clearly the best quarterback in the conference. Um, it does say something about the level of quarterback play in this conference. So maybe that plays into Oklahoma's defense appearing to look as good as it is. And that's going to be the question going into the Cotton Bowl when they're going up against Kyle Trask, are they going to be able to look as good and at times as dominant as they have been, or are they going to run into a culture shock uh, offensively speaking with Florida now defensively, offensively uh, with Spencer Rattler, you can kind of say everything that I said the same thing, the same way, but just on the opposite end. But is it still a result of the offenses being down in the Big 12? Is that why the defenses across the board have looked really good? But if, so, that's, not the, but the, if that's not the way that you believe, then you should then go and say, wow, Spencer Rattler really did well navigating through a very good defensive conference. Because especially when you consider that Fox wants to be all cute and say, look at the highest scoring conference championship Oh, game. Brady, you look should not the, have brought that up. Look at all this, like, it's so fun. Scoring is fun. Golly. Like, this is – watching college football national media and their narratives is like watching golf fans in golf tournaments. So, whenever the U.S. Open and someone's scoring low, super low, they're all bitching about it, and they're like, oh, the course is not hard enough. The course is not hard enough. Oh, so now, now when it's tough to score in the Big 12, Brady, whenever it's tough to score in the Big 12, it's not good defense. Cracks my ass up. Here's another thing, too, and this is a hot take. I think if Ashim Young didn't get targeting in that game, Iowa State would have won. He was He's really good. Like, game changer at safety. He was their guy. He's their guy that plays the run game 
from like 15 yards off the ball. And I'll show it in the uh, film review, which we need to talk about what we're going to do with that at the end. Um, but, uh, but I think, I well, think I, I would say may have won that game just because I don't think some of those long runs that Ramondre had Brady would have broken. I mean, I, I guess so. I mean, I guess you can make that argument, but my argument would be Oklahoma ran the ball technically better than Iowa state, but marginally, it wasn't a gigantic influence on the game. And all, all it really did was set the stage for Oklahoma to win the game. It did not win them the game by any means because Ramondre Stevenson, especially after the first quarter, those big runs, quote unquote, that you mentioned, those were like 12 yard runs, 11 yard runs. And in a, you know, a close game, a defensive kind of shoot shootout, you know, for, forgive the lack of a better way to phrase the game, but in a defensive game like that, 10-yard runs are important. 12-yard runs are important. They're just as important as 40-yard runs in a uh, OU Texas Tech 2016 type game. Um, maybe he makes a difference, but maybe he makes a bad difference for Iowa State. I mean, we don't know. Maybe he uh, commits another penalty. Maybe he, I mean, maybe he just does something bad because the backups for Iowa State actually played fairly well. They weren't it wasn't like he, he left the game and then Spencer Rattler said, oh, yeah, there's my bitch, and then just threw it over the top. <laughs> no, sure. But I think, you know, some of those longer runs that, like, the first play of the game he made and he came up and that would have been a wide-open run, he's the one who made the tackle at the line of scrimmage. So I, I think it's just interesting to think. Um, you know, but again, I, 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 run, I want to reiterate this. This is a good thing. The fact that we're talking about this because – Two to three years ago, we're having this conversation about Oklahoma not playing well, and they lose offensively. Or they, you know, they, they don't play as well as they need to, and they get, they get snake-bitten in these games. So, um, defensively, Brady Trantham, my God. My, my God. Um, Nick Benito, Perrion Winfrey, and Isaiah Thomas, I don't know if they were blocked all night. All game. No. Um, Perkins did not. And this is a funny comment real quick before I let you go. Perkins, that was the perfect game if you're an Oklahoma fan. He was impactful enough, but he was so-so enough in terms of his draft stock that if that may, <laughs> may yeah. impact him leaving or not. I, I find myself, depending on my mood, I find myself going either way uh, with Ronnie Perkins uh, leaving after the season. And the main reason why I'm kind of leaning more towards that he will is because while he still has a long way to go and coming back another year could very well help him because he's going to be a preseason All-American. He's going to be a preseason uh, Lombardi award win or preseason Lombardi watch list member, Ben Derrick. He's going to be on all the, the, the awards lists. Um, and if he basically does what he did this year, like as his floor, he's going to be a, an All-American next year and then be a, a first round or second round draft pick going into the previous uh, the following draft. But at the same time, yeah, he could all, he could do all that, but he's going to test well at the combine. He looks like a monster. He plays with a high motor and why not just go ahead and get paid to learn on the job instead of just trying to put the good film out there because he's what he's going to go third round at the lowest yeah. right now. Perkins. So I, hopefully Lincoln Riley does, uh, does his due diligence and basically tells him a better, more informed version of what I just told you, Keegan. Ronnie, but, I would greatly appreciate it if you would just sit out the bowl game so you can't play well against Florida's terrible offensive line. 
I'm just yeah. Kidding. Well, so it, Florida, that, that's, that's going to be the next topic of conversation, though, Brady. And it goes back to what we've talked about since the Texas Tech game. Since he returned, who is going to block number seven, number eight, number 11, and number 95? And I don't know if Florida's going to be able to do it, but they were so impressive in the Big 12 championship game. I mean, unbelievable. And it wasn't just them. Like, I think some of the guys that came in and played well, too. Like, Josh Ellison had a monster game Saturday for what his expectation is, for what the, his impact has been on this defense. He had a monster game. Um, so I, I think that, you know, you're getting contributions out of a uh, – uh, along that defensive line. I know we're, we, we talk a lot about the front four, front group, but it just – the entire group was playing so, so well. Um, I, I, think, I think it goes back to uh, – Deshaun White played better than what I think you and I maybe have given him credit for. He did have a couple plays where he just didn't look like he was the same speed as everybody on that defense, which is not good. But they just – that defense, man, like, they just are so bought in. Like, you can tell, like, Buki comes in, right? One of Buki's first plays, they run a little out route. Out route. Well, the corner comes off his route, which was really good. But he diagnosed it and triggered immediately. Trey Norwood, same thing, diagnosed it on one play early in the game, read it immediately. Yeah. This group is so bought in, and it's so apparent that they're bought in on tape that, like – you know, I asked Dan Mullen the question today, like, you know, what have you noticed, you know, basically a perception change from your end on Oklahoma's defense? And, you know, he kind of gave me a non-answer. But, I mean, it, it's so apparent that this group is just different. Like, they are so much different now. And it, in a couple years, whenever they're still doing this, it would be, you know, abnormal. But just right now, it's crazy. It's, it's so much fun to watch, too, on tape because they're just flying around. Flying to the football. Yeah, well, I'm glad you brought up Deshaun White, too, because I think it's a perfect example of the improvement Alex Grinch has brought forth with the defense because the floor of the Oklahoma defense was in the comical state, was in the comical levels. But if the floor of the Oklahoma defense is going to be a player like Deshaun White, a player that you and I virtually never mention, and the only time we really ever talk about him on this podcast is he cannot have a bad game. Uh, especially if he's going to be put in positions where he's the spy of the quarterback and you're talking about a quarterback that can that has some wheels, he cannot have a bad game and miss tackles. Deshaun White is, a, for the most part, a sure tackler. Does he wow you on film? No. Does he wow you in the game? No. Does he wow you with his size, speed, measurables? No. But he does his job. And unfortunately, when he doesn't do his job, that's really the only time we ever like think about him. But those moments are few and far between. There were a few bad moments defensively against Iowa State on Saturday. One of them that comes to mind was the Hutchinson catch where he broke about six, seven tackles. And in a game like that, with two really good teams, sometimes another team is going to make plays in spite of what your defense is doing. I'm sure Iowa State fans are saying the same thing about uh, Braden Willis catching that ball on that second and 11. I'm sure they have a lot of examples like that too, where somebody from OU that they – didn't really think that much of makes a big play. Uh, but that's really, to me, the best compliment you can give Alex Grinch in this defense is the floor are players like Deshaun White, not necessarily him individually, but players that simply go out there and just do their job and don't make too many gigantic mistakes or mistakes that continue to happen throughout the game. 
Yeah, and it's not the same mental mistakes early in the year either. Like the Kansas State stuff just does not show up anymore. Ah, wait a sec. Wait a second. Uh, you're disabled sharing um, – share Hold on. Responsibilities. Um, so I, I, I can – I can keep going until then, but there's, you know, they just don't show up as consistently. There was a big coverage bust on Saturday um, from the Oklahoma defense that Iowa state did not, you know, account for, but it's, it's one of those things where like they are going to have to continue to play well, um, you know, despite all this and they, and they have been, and they've been in position this and that. um, So I was going to say, so there was one play, Brady, this is, I'll say this on the pod, is like people remember Trey Brown for the Big 12 championship and the plays that he made, and they should, and I do as well. It's like, but what I'll remember Trey Brown most for is probably this. Um, the first coverage bust Brady's looking at right now on the throw to Charlie Kolar, uh, there's, everybody's playing a certain coverage and Trey Brown's playing zone. So, um, but these things just aren't happening anymore. So, it's uh, it's too. It's gotten to a certain point where uh, you know, I, I think that you can trust this defense to win them a game, which is extremely important. Um, and and they have won games, and that's going to be that's going to be something like leading into this Florida game. That's going to be extremely important. Um, before um, I get out of here, I do want to show something to Brady that I'm talking about that we will talk about on the film review. Um, when I'm to wrap up, maybe some Big Twelve Championship thoughts here, but. This is the stuff from I'm talking about Brady on Spencer Rattler to where it's just it's right there, it's right there. And it's, in terms and of he's locking onto Marvin Mims on a well, this is a <clears throat> this is the play where Marvin Mims breaks the tackle here, um, but so he's gonna it's a play action pass. He's reading this guy. He's kind of playing overhang, but he stays home, right? Well, Jeremiah, yeah. that's a that's a read to Jeremiah. Just Hall. runs down the seam. Yeah, so this guy's flat-footed. Which for those non – I mean, I'm not really that football savvy either, so don't take this as a as a dig. But a seam route is just basically a receiver running straight down the hash mark. So it's just a straight line. Yeah, and this pull, this drive ends up being a missed field goal. So um, there's that. Well, have- that safety is sitting there kind of chilling. Does he end up just backing off? Well, he ends up – yeah, he ends up running with Hall – but the safety here, when if when Hall would see like Rattler's throwing it, Hall would have caught it somewhere in this area around yeah. the 14, and this guy was still flat-footed, so he would have been able to run it in, at least get it in near the goal line, or would have been a touchdown. Um, which, but it, it is also interesting, and this is you know maybe wrap back towards the uh, Cotton Bowl or to the Cotton Bowl talk today. Um, this is a quote from Jeremiah Hall today. Um, yeah, for sure. In terms of Oklahoma's drought and the expectation to score on every drive, this is what Hall said. Yeah, for sure. I'm conditioned to expect us to score every single drive, but from a mental standpoint, I think that's where we're struggling. Obviously you guys have seen us perform physically and you know what each individual player can do, but I think we're struggling from executing mentally and not being locked in when we are going through these, those droughts. I think we're getting in our, getting our, in our heads a little bit in it. And I think, and it's hard to combat, that because there's no exact answer to what we need to do from an individual standpoint. Brady, what do you think he's talking about there? I mean, I, I'm just I, gonna, I'm, I'm not connecting dots. I, I kind of am, but I'm just, I'm just saying. I mean, I see that solely as a, an offense that is not super young, but they're young at key positions where if you're wanting the offense to continue rolling like a machine, you, 
it's hard to expect Spencer Rattler to do so. It's hard to expect Marvin Mims to do so. It's hard to expect a lot of guys that Trajan Bridges played his first game the other day. Uh, Jaden Hazelwood has played what now? That was his third game because I don't think he played against – did he play against Oklahoma State? That might have been Jaden Hazelwood. Because he played yeah. against – Oh, he did not play against – Yeah. He did not because of COVID. Yeah, so that was his second game. So you're relying on a bunch of inexperience to play big roles, and they are so talented that they can look incredible for, like, the blink of an eye. And fortunately, the blink of an eye can last about a quarter or two. Uh, but it's hard to maintain. This would be really hard to do, so it's, it'd be a lot of work on your end. But I'm curious if you just went back and watched 2015 Baker Mayfield, like especially those early games, I'm wondering if he's making a lot of the same mistakes where he's missing easy throws or not necessarily panicking in the pocket, but moving the pocket to the other direction and missing a complete other side of the field, but that he cleans up over time. So to that point, I think the biggest thing is that 2015 offense, Brady, it was way more air raidy than what they're doing now. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like a lot more underneath stuff, a lot more immediate throws, a lot more just like one-on-one matchups with Sterling Shepard. Now they're just scheming, scheming up things the last four years um, that have made life easy on the quarterback. But in 2015, it was more air raidy. So now you have to be mentally better to run the offense to where it needs to be. And you have to be mentally crisp and you have to be mentally clean. And um, I think that that's been the biggest difference. Like in 2015, I just remember the Bedlam game that reminds me, they just kept throwing those, like the start of those screens. Like Didi Westbrook and Sterling Shepard were just catching those little shallow screens all game, all first half. And they were just killing Oklahoma State with them. So um, I think that's what the, you know, 20 – you know, 15 offense was like, which why makes the evaluation of Baker then and Baker now or and Spencer now a little bit tough. Um, Spencer's in a place in a unique place to where he is unbelievable outside the pocket. He has otherworldly talent. He is probably the of the quarterbacks that have come out since 2017. Of course, I'm just I'm just saying of straight quarterbacks in terms of pure talent, arm talent as a quarterback probably has as much as anybody that's going to go him and Kyler one and two he has every tool possible but this this is probably a hot take it sounds weird coming out of my mouth but I can't deny what I think um I think just straight up Spencer Rattler has a better arm than Kyler I agree is Kyler more accurate you know maybe you know when I'm talking about accuracy I mean like Sam Bradford where he can just Wherever he's throwing the ball, it hits the guy in the chest. Like, that is awesome accuracy. Um, you can debate that. But his ability to throw the ball off of his back foot, and it's an incredible pass, and it's layered. It goes over the linebackers at just the right height. It, I don't know if Kyler can do that, but at the same time, Kyler has the, uh, the plan B to his game where he knows, I don't need to do that. I can just take off and get 20 yards really easily slide and get a first down. So maybe he does. He just doesn't have to lean on it like Spencer Rattler does because he's not as athletic. Yeah. And it just, it goes to the point where the, the fine line, and I said this after the Texas game or before the Texas game, it may be that um, whenever I wrote that story, the fine line between being an elite quarterback and being the best quarterback is how sharp you are mentally in college football. And 
when you talk about the evaluation of Kyle Trask right now versus Spencer Rattler, you want to talk about a guy that knows the X and O's. He's obviously – So when it comes to the evaluation of Kyle Trask like versus Spencer Rattler in this game, you want to talk about, you know, a quarterback that knows the timing, that he's mentally clean, that he knows what he's digesting, he knows where he's attacking every time. Um, Kyle Trask is really good at that. Where What's going to fault him for the next level in terms of his evaluation is his athleticism and his arm strength. Outside of that, you can't tell me that he can't go do what Ryan Tannehill, Kirk Cousins, name it, that have had success in the NFL, Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, all these guys that have had success, Kyle Trask can go do that. So yeah. the difference is, is that Spencer Rattler has to be has a chance to be the face of an NFL franchise. If he puts it all together, he's going to be a 10-year, top 10 NFL quarterback. He's going to be unbelievable. But it's a matter of taking those steps from each week and that's something you and I have talked about, is now we're in a stretch since the Texas Tech game. So Kansas, Bedlam, Baylor, and the Big 12 championship game. He has not lived up to his potential. So with that being said, he, it's, everything's fine and dandy. Oklahoma's going to be okay. But it's very apparent that even with the offensive line problems, even with this, even with that, that – he's going to have to be better. And Oklahoma, I'm confident in saying this, expects him to be better. Like, they yeah. – it is not talked about, you know, loudly behind the doors or anything. But, you know, there's a, a growing belief, I guess would be the word to say, that, like, if, if he would just play the way that he should play up to his expectation, then he's got, a, he's got a chance to, you know, go do some really, really big things. But right now it's kind of hurting Oklahoma. I mean, yeah, but because it sounds like what you're describing, and I know you're not, but if you just basically took everything you said and you took out Spencer Rattler's name and said, which quarterback am I talking about in OU history? You might say somebody like Landry Jones. And the, and the reason why is because we know Landry Jones as the complete player that he became. We know his freshman, sophomore, junior, and senior, senior seasons. We know the, the leaps he made, and we know basically when he – Based when he hit his ceiling, he hit a ceiling in between his sophomore and his junior year. He never got better than that. Um, the thing about Spencer, and I keep saying this, and I feel like a broken record, it was his ninth game. And I think saying that he needs to get better and that he kept OU in some ways because he is the quarterback from reaching their true potential this year. I think you can say that, but you can also acknowledge the fact that Maybe if you had super high Heisman Trophy, 50 touchdowns, like seven, eight, nine touchdowns rushing expectations for him, OU goes undefeated and scores 60 points a game, maybe your expectations were too high for a first-year starting quarterback, uh, especially when you throw in all the disadvantages of playing this year, um, which is fair and unfair because it, it affected every school differently, but every school had to deal with it. Um, I think if we're having these conversations, and this is the cop out to what you're saying, Keegan, I'm, I'm thinking that by Texas next year, if we're having these same conversations where he's missing simple throws and, but at the same time, he's not turning the ball over, but he has like two touchdown pass games, 300 yard pass games and OU wins by a score. I think that's the point where we can go, is he improving? Is he getting it? But I think until yeah. then, you can just rely on the fact that he's a young kid and at least he's not turning the ball over. It's, he's, he's got a long way to go, but 
this is a great foundation to start from. The, the biggest difference right now between him and Facebook, every other quarterback in the country in his position is that whenever there's times when he's not doing the mental, you know, mentally doing things the right, you know, in terms of making the right decisions, attacking the right places, he can make up for it because he gets outside the pocket and makes the throw anyways. He is so good. I mean, I have heard nothing, but man, as, as we, as we roll out here the next couple of weeks, I'll be able to start some draft grades will trickle in. So we will have that information, by the way, I've uh, been able to, I've been given word that that will be given to me. So, um, which is, which is great. But whenever I talk to the person that I talk to at the NFL level, the talk of Spencer Rattler, Brady, it is, they are, I mean, I, it's massive. So yeah, he's a, uh, they, obviously it, it's signs are pointing to he's going to be QB one next year, basically, but he's got, if Oklahoma, you know, this is, this is so perfect. This matchup with Florida Brady, and we'll get into it. I know we've got three more podcasts before the game, but no, it's your it's your favorite team. So I mean, if you're going, you don't have to go that far for the game. If you're going to get credential, you get to go watch your favorite team. Maybe get an autograph from Mr. Kyle Trask. Who knows? Yeah, I may go get Dan Mullen to sign a jersey for me or something. <laughs> um, but uh, but it's such a perfect matchup for him. Talking about a secondary that's not very good. Their offensive line's not very good. They don't run the football well. Yeah. I think it's I think it's interesting you bring up that it's a perfect matchup for Oklahoma because as a fan of the teams that I thought OU could potentially have drawn in the Cotton Bowl, so we're talking about Texas A&M, Florida, uh, Georgia, and then two one of the two power five or group of five guys, Coastal Carolina or Cincinnati, mainly because it seems like when there are is a team like that, they always throw them Oklahoma's way. Pisses me off, but whatever. But other than the group of five teams that I just did not want to play at all, I was like, just opt out if that's the case. There's nothing OU can gain. But of the three SEC teams, Florida was the one team I didn't want to play. Really? Because, well, because their offense is so explosive that if Oklahoma basically plays the same game that they've played all season long where they look great for a quarter, let's just say the beginning of the game, but that hasn't always been the case. Texas, they were – the opposite. They were awful in the first half and they were incredible in the second half until the last five minutes of the fourth quarter. Um, but if they basically followed the script of this offense, Florida's offense is too good to for Oklahoma to just go through about a four or five, even six drive stretch where they don't score anything. Like that could potentially, as good as the Oklahoma defense is, them getting out on the field um, because the offense doesn't score, doesn't move the ball, and they're tired that's where you can give up a big touchdown or a long touchdown run. And then you can start to get demoralized. So from a matchup standpoint, it was the one game I didn't really want to play because I, I saw it more as a, they, their offense is too good. But like you said, their defense is not good. And their offensive line is also fairly Iowa state-ish, you know, like they're, they're good enough. But when they go up against good defensive line, they get they always get uh, exposed. So I don't know if there's any, uh, you know, turnovers, this, that, whatever, that impacted these scores. But just say there probably one defensive play or special teams that impacted the score. So Kyle Pitts did not play in three games this year. He did not play against um, – he did not play against Arkansas. He did not play against Vanderbilt or LSU. I believe that's correct. Yes. 
So against Vanderbilt, they struggled and scored only 38. Against LSU, they struggled and only scored 34. In Arkansas, though, they blew them up and scored 63. That was the Kadarius-Tony game. And Brady, I will say, to your point, I'm expecting, and the reason why belief is what it is, is because I'm expecting him to not play. Kadarius Tony is the best is the best kept secret at wide receiver in college football. He is so much fun. Like imagine Tyreek Hill, but just a step down from that. Like that, this guy is awesome. He's so much fun uh, to watch. So yeah, but at the end of the day, though, like you talk, you take Kyle Pitts out of the equation, Brady. They're just they don't have the explosiveness that they have. Um, mm-hmm. it's, and I think it's a little bit like not having Austin Stogner through Oklahoma. Like the, the guy that can pick up some first downs, um, guaranteed not having that, it's going to hurt. So, um, and I don't expect him to play in the bowl game. Um, Austin Sogner? Yeah. I, I haven't told you this. He, did I read you the text? No. He lost like 30 pounds in the hospital for a while. Lost 30 pounds, not playing in the bowl game. He had the same issue Alex Smith had with the infection like three, four years ago when he was out for like six months. Sorry, I should have already told you this, but. No, it was such an unnecessary injury. Yeah. Okay. I don't, I think you were talking or if I were to, I was. No, um. I finish up my thought on Stogner if you want to pick it up. Yeah. And I don't know if we even really talked about it that much on the Patreon podcast on Sunday, Keegan, but this offense really misses Austin Stogger. And maybe a lot of those um, easy throws, maybe Spencer Rattler makes easy throws if Stogner's there. Maybe that's just the gigantic key here. But uh, obviously his status is going to be up in the air for uh, the Cotton Bowl. I would probably, you know, it's such a quick turnaround to expect a player like Austin Stogner with the estimated injury that he probably picked up against Kansas a month ago. I don't know if you can not play one week and then literally the next week be ready to go against a bowl opponent. So I'm just going to assume that he's not going to be there. If he is, it's going to be a great surprise. I know he's going to be better for it, but um, no, with the Florida matchup, the interesting thing will just be, and I don't know how much influence this is really going to have, but what, or how many players are not playing in this game? Kyle Trask already said that he is almost certain that he is 100% going to play in the game he or something. play in this game. Yeah, um, and he should. Like, that, that's the thing about these New Year's Six Bowls. They can be silly, and the playoff does minimize the rest of the bowls in, in a big way. But when it's, you know, logo schools like this who have – Um, who are looking to the future, especially Florida and Oklahoma are basically in the same boat. They are looking to the future. They're both on good trajectories. Um, This bowl game can mean a lot. It can definitely mean a lot. It can be fun for the short term, and it can maybe influence some recruiting battles down the road. So it's important, and I would imagine a lot of players are going to play. uh, But Trey Brown's already opted out, mentioned that. So I guess this should be a topic. I guess – oh, yeah, and you – you uh, put out the story or put out the tweet the other night, scooping the One story minute. about a minute before, you know, but still before. And then let's see, Tanner Mordecai, of course, as well uh, with SMU. But we talked about it at the beginning of the show, Keegan, because I said that said all this on the 
Patreon podcast. I felt like I'd be doing the listeners a disservice who've been with me since the beginning when I started doing this with John Hoover. If I didn't eat some crow for them <laughs> about hashtag Mike's guys, because all of them played extremely well. I mean, even Delarian Turner yell. And right before we went on, I just was still watching the highlights from um, the OU Iowa state game on Saturday. And it was the play, I believe before the interception that clinched the game where, um, or it might've been a player. So before, where Brock Purdy was being chased by Isaiah Thomas and then Trey Brown crashed down on him and he pump faked and somehow got both of them to jump and avoided certain death on that play. And then he threw it downfield and Larry and Turner yell was one-on-one with a tight, it wasn't Kolar, but with a tight end. And he jumped, jumped the route, got his hand in front of the ball with, for an awesome PBU. DTY had a really good game. He even had a, a for sure tackle on what could have been a gigantic Brees Hall run when he got into the second level. Uh, Trey Norwood with an interception. Patrick Fields with his first career interception that was thrown directly to him. But guess what? That's what Brock Purdy did names. Yeah, so with Pat Fields' performance, a lot of people will not – the stat sheet doesn't show how well he played. He was in position a lot, like helping out run fits and stuff, like yeah. filling lanes, this and that. So, good. And then, of course, Trey Brown, the – oft ridiculed criticized player at least from my end um over I his sent him career a oh you did mm-hmm. i told him congrats played a really good game good did he reply no well, well oh the public listeners don't know this well he's not playing at oklahoma anymore yeah so i guess you can tell them now yeah, midway through the season, Trey Brown found an old tweet of mine and sent it to me and said, stop hating on him, that it was disrespectful. And what did he use? He used a bunch of PFF stats to back. Which I guess OU fans like PFF now because their All-American team came out. And look, look, there are some things that I like about PFF. I do like the way in which they dive into the game of football. My thing with analytics is just the same thing that it is in basketball. It doesn't tell you everything. It does not tell you everything. And and sometimes it can even lie straight to your face. And all those Trey Brown PFFs, cute little stats that were floating around in the summer before the season started, those were straight lies. Like, did they find some algorithm to give you that number? Sure. And did Trey Brown rise to the top of those rankings? Yes, that's not a lie. But you watch Trey Brown throughout his career at Oklahoma. He is not a lockdown corner. He's not a Zach Sanchez type where you can live with the bus because he gets you like a pick or two every other game. He's a game changer in that, in that way. He is not a for sure tackler. He's a lot of times just not a very good football player. And that is the main reason why I get so frustrated watching him play because every game for three years, I had to see him trot out there and make the same mistakes over and over. And as a fan, it gets annoying. But boy, did he look like a football player on Saturday because he made football plays. He had an incredible pass breakup early on in the first half that would have gotten Iowa State into those two kickoff returns. OU scored 10 points off of them, and they needed them at that time, too. Um, I said on the postgame pod, it reminded me a whole bunch of the Antoine Savage kickoff return from 2 against Texas when OU needed a big return in the special teams part of the game. And, of course, his interception to clinch the game. And even though it was an arm punt, even though he just basically caught the ball as it fell into his, his hands, we've seen Trey Brown drop interceptions. So he dropped this 
same. Buki dropped an interception like that in Ames. Both. Yeah. Two of the three weird interceptions in Ames. Oklahoma converted on them. Took advantage of their opportunities. I know. it. I, I kind of hated the whole narrative going into the Big 12 championship of how well, Oklahoma's not going to make all those same mistakes again, are they? They're not going to miss all these tackles. They're not going to drop all these interceptions. That brought uh, pretty for me. sure. You hated me all last week because that's all I was saying. No, that, that's what I was saying too. Uh, I, I hated I it. I, I hated it because I hate assuming things like that are just going to happen. But at the same time, Oklahoma's the more talented team. It's hard for me to assume mistakes are going to be doubled against the same opponent and against the inferior opponent, if that makes sense. So I hate it just because I don't like saying those things, but for sure, not all those things are going to happen. And maybe if just two of those things happen, oh, you could still probably win a close game. And they did. And they did. And they put themselves in a, a unique situation against the a quality team that they should beat. Like this Florida team is much better than the Auburn team, but the difference is, is like how good Auburn's defense was against in that game in 2016. Yeah, is how good Florida's offense is, and how good Florida's how good Auburn's offense was in that game is how good Florida's <coughs> defense. So, it's definitely a uh, they put themselves in a, a good situation. Like this is a big game. Like the guys that need to play well for Oklahoma should have big games. You know, Spencer Rattler, the wide receivers, um, running back. And then the defensive line. So yeah, it's um, that's early on, but uh, but yeah, I don't know what else what else you got. And there's my puppy dog in the Zoom call. But uh, yeah, there you go. It's uh, it's it's weird. Uh, I, what we talked about Tanner Mordecai. That was fun today, by the way. Golly, did that did uh, his well, uncle is his there uncle that up? Is there any is there any worry that Spencer Rattler's backup is now Chandler Morris for the bowl game. I, I mean, think there, I think there's now a worry that Chandler Morris may not be a quarterback at Oklahoma next year. He might not be a quarterback or in that he changes positions or that he might just transfer and be a quarterback somewhere else. I'm just throwing that out there. Like that's been a topic of conversation behind the scenes. I well, don't think it's going to happen, but we'll see. Well, indulge us. Well, I don't know of more than just that there has been an idea that he may leave Chandler Moore. So I'm just throwing that out there. I, I think where this stems from is that his dad may have a new job at some point. Who knows? But yeah, and that would. That but it would doesn't be... make sense to me. But there's also been rumors that Jaden Hazelwood is transferring, and I've been able to deny that. So I've not heard those anywhere. Yeah, Jaden Hazelwood, Austin Stogner, both two guys were rumored. Yeah, it's there. There's. Um, let's just let's just say that there's going to be a bunch of trash thrown out from a website now. I'm just going to leave it at that. Fair yeah. enough. Well, it would be a shame if Chandler Morris decided to transfer. Just, but I, I get that that's how the game is played now. Um, Oklahoma has obviously benefited from the transfer of quarterbacks over the years, but I'm always a little freaked out when a school has two awesome quarterbacks at the same time. And I don't know what Chandler Morris is as a quarterback. I'm, ex I'm kind of excited for his potential. 
I mean, he got put into a legitimate package in a Big 12 championship game, uh, mainly because he is fast and he is athletic. And I have a it, story on that, by the way. I think I could tell it on the Oh, spot. let's go ahead. I guess ch- that play wasn't supposed to be Chandler Morris. What happened? I think it was supposed to be Tanner Mordecai. I think Tanner Mordecai, like, wasn't around whenever Oklahoma was trying to run it, and, like, Morris was over there by the offensive staff and got put in. Like, I think that's a real thing. Is that not huh. crazy? Huh. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. But anyway – it would just I, – I keep kind of going back to when, like, Florida had Tim Tebow and Cam Newton at the same time. Um, there have been schools that have two awesome quarterbacks, and maybe one of them ends up being good. The other one ends up not panning out. And then guys transfer, and then that same school that at one point had two or three awesome quarterbacks, at some point down, like, in the short term, gets left without a, a good quarterback. So what if, you know – Chandler Morris comes here or transfers, excuse me. Spencer Rattler gets hurt. And then Caleb Williams kind of has to play and is just not good at all. Like what if he's just an absolute bust? And then Chandler Morris is kind of looking there, like playing down at TCU or, or wherever his dad ends up, I guess, if, if that's going to be the case. And he kind of understands, well, I could have been the quarterback at Oklahoma right now with all that talent. So I selfishly want to keep him, but, if that's the case, Oklahoma does have. Canada. I don't want people to listen to this and think like he's there's even like more than a fifty percent chance. I'm just saying that, that has been. I've heard that from areas, reliable areas, not people that I would confirm information from, but people that would be in the know. So, um, again, I think that that I don't want to you know sound the alarms that say something's happening or this is even you know an op- a good chance of happening. I'm just it's been it's been thrown out there and it hasn't been turned down like the Jaden Hazelwood and Austin Stockner stuff. So it's a, it's fairly interesting times. No, I I think um, there is one thing. I don't know if you have anything left on the game or anything else to get into, but I I think it is interesting to talk about the transfer portal. Yeah. And that's kind of what Lincoln Riley has been saying. Every time you guys have asked him about recruiting, um, he kind of acknowledges that the transfer portal is going to be, just as big, if not bigger than recruiting. So leaving positions open, not taking as many guys, I guess. I don't really know exactly the finer details of all those recruiting rules, but you can just no, look no further than Oklahoma. I mean, TJ Pledger, he's going to be a, he's going to be a good back wherever he ends up and whatever school gets him is getting a good back. So you should just assume that equal, if not better talent is going into the portal in droves over the next few weeks. And with Oklahoma, needing to fill some holes at certain positions, but not, you know, you don't, when you're going into a a season like 2021 and you've got title aspirations, you don't always want to rely on a freshman or a sophomore who didn't play as a freshman to that, you know, is talented, but now you got to learn how to play big boy football and not make mistakes, not don't make kid mistakes, play like a bit like an adult. Uh, That's hard to rely on, but when you can just grab somebody with experience and the talent and put them right in there like a Chris Murray on the offensive line, that does help the learning curve. Yeah, it does. Um, we've, we've seen uh, so far from Oklahoma, TJ Pledger and Tanner Mordecai. Uh, I would expect that list to grow at least five. Um, I, 
I think it's comfortable in saying. I'm sure it'll be talked about by a lot of people. But who is your biggest? Because this, I'm going to ask you this question. This does not confirm that you believe that this player is going to opt out. But what's the biggest name that you've heard, like kind of rumored to potentially not play? Oh, not play? Not play in the Cotton Bowl. Oh, I don't know about not playing the Cotton Bowl. I just know Rambo's a name that I think the writing's on the wall there. The writing has been on the wall ever since Texas. Yeah. And with the watching Jaden Hazelwood catch that and Marvin Mims catch his. Oh, like, I mean, even Charleston Rambo, if he goes to a different situation. He needs they, to go to SMU with Mordecai. He'll yeah. get thrown the football a lot. Um. He's good. He's just simply not as good as the super ultra four or five star talent across the board. Yeah. And then the other one's Robert Barnes. <laughs> and then, uh, and then the other one that's been thrown to me, which is interesting, Stacy Wilkins, cause he's denied um, the idea of it. So um, yeah, we'll leave that at that, but yeah, and I, I wouldn't be shocked if there's more like, like, here's the thing, like in theory, I'm not, this is no info, no, nothing, nothing concrete, even, even a sniff of this conversation, Brady, but like, what does Buki do this off season? He's been replaced. That's been, that was a subplot on Saturday, Brady, that didn't get a lot of attention. Did that, not play that much. Did not play that much. Um, and I, I'm sure, did you guys ask about that? No, it hasn't been asked yet. And I'm sure if you did, Grinch or Lincoln would say that it was straight, strictly like um, scheme. I would bet Grinch, I bet Grinch would tell the truth. Maybe. In a I, think, way. I think Grinch has the stones to do that. No, Buki has always been a player. I mean, you and I were probably two of the only people in the market that were high on him, despite what we've seen over his first two years as an Oklahoma Sooner. But at the same time, we understood that he's got limitations physically and it's going to bite OU in the ass sometimes. And also his strengths – they're good to have, but they're not like game-breaking, all-conference, even all-American type like he was billed to be. Um, so knowing all that, the hope is always, hopefully Jeremiah Cradell steps up. Hopefully Oklahoma just basically recruits over him so that they can put him into a position to basically have to be where he is right now. If you want to play, you can stay and compete. You're, you're not guaranteed the starter. Or you could take your chances and jump in the portal elsewhere. And go to UCLA or USC. So I, I UCLA would be – I think that's where he would end up if it were the case. But, yeah, it's – I have heard some interesting names, Brady. I can't say them on here, but there's, there's some high-profile recruits that have reached out to Oklahoma. I can – there's one that's not out there that I know about, and I'll tell you after the podcast, that – mind-blowing that he reached out to OU I mean like what after the way he treated them so we'll see but there is uh I would be shocked if Oklahoma has a couple starters out of the transfer it's not Leon O'Neal is it no so, oh, hey along the same lines kind of that along the same lines I'll tell you after we're done I wish it was that Noah Kane kid I mean it wouldn't shock me if he entered the portal come on down son <laughs> Yeah, he can go. Oh, I, I guess that that's a good reminder. Were you at all surprised that Kennedy Brooks is coming back next year? Uh, a little bit, right? I because am like, shocked. Like the 
the wording was that like we'll see right after the season like he's planning on returning right now but we'll see and then just damn immediately he's coming back yeah because his situation was family health wasn't it that's why he ended up opting out of the i think i might have seen or it might have been just bullshit rumor for all i know yeah that's not it let's uh let's just say that mr brooks was gonna serve some suspension early in the season uh, from not, I don't COVID basically not following protocol. So, oh, okay. Well, you know what? There's been, and if you pay attention to who's in and who's out, there's been other players that have gotten that same trouble. So, well, okay. Here, here's something then. If that's the case, if that's true, I wouldn't be shocked if Kennedy Brooks announcing he's coming back next year is basically a way to try and dissuade any negative, I guess, rumors or reporting that would come from that to potentially harm his NFL draft stock. And the reason why I bring that up is because I'm rereading Bootlegger's Boy for the first time since I was 16 years old. And there's a part in there where Switzer's talking about Brian Bosworth when he got kicked or when he got dismissed from OU for the steroids and everything. And he got dismissed. And it was affecting how Boz was getting um, talked to by NFL scouts. And he thought it was going to affect how much money he was going to make. So Boz begged Switzer to say, can you just say publicly that you've allowed me to rejoin the team? And then I'm just still going to go to the draft because that way I'll make more money. And Switzer said, sure. So do you, you get what I'm saying? Like him announcing that he's coming back is basically maybe putting back the good feelings of Kennedy Brooks back into the atmosphere. And I think that he would be welcomed back with open arms. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I, I think that Oklahoma's fond of Kennedy, the person he is, this and that. I just may have been some issues at the beginning of this COVID deal. But, yeah, it's uh, – Yeah. I, I, it's it's just one of those things. I, again, I, that's something that's not 100% confirmed either. But it's yeah. – I think that's the I think that's the direction that it is. So, yeah. And he's – and, again, if that is the case – he is one of like three or four people that have had issues with Oklahoma because they're not following protocol. So he, uh, well, it is what it is. As somebody who was never particularly high on Kennedy Brooks um, and much higher on Ramondre Stevenson last season in his limited opportunities, um, I would welcome back Kennedy Brooks with open arms because we don't know what Ramondre Stevenson is going to do. He could come back. He could, he could leave. That's probably why I'm shocked Kennedy Brooks is coming back because it's while he didn't play football for a year, it's still another year off of his life. And we all know what the story is with running backs in the NFL in the modern day game. So I'm just kind of shocked that he came back, but we don't know what Ramondre is going to do. If he leaves, then hoping Kamar Wheaton finally decides he wants to go play college football somewhere. And hopefully it's at Oklahoma. Um, Either that or maybe Seth McGowan takes a leap. That would be very a very thin backfield in that case. So, Kenny Brooks, come on. I back. do not expect Kamar Wheaton to be at Oklahoma. I'm going to leave it at that. Alabama? I don't know where he's going to go. I don't expect it to be Oklahoma. So odd. I can't get into it, but – Man, we, I'm dishing out nuggets. I, I break two stories in the last two days, and I just want to flood out everything I know. I'm going to get in trouble. But – I think we I think we're in the clear on the inside of you podcast. We are in fact inside of OU, right? That's oh, we're the- we're so deep inside right now. Yeah. 
think it's going to break. Um, I, I do have one more question for you, Keegan, because it never fails. Whenever insert your school here loses a game, the sky is falling. And then fans typically say, well, then great. X recruit is not going to sign with us anymore because we just lost a game. That's not how recruits really view football anymore. Um, now, if you torpedo your season, it could very well influence your recruiting class. Look no further than our friends down south in Austin. But um, Oklahoma, Florida, like we talked about, it, it's, it could potentially be a great game in the short term, and it could potentially influence some recruiting battles down the road. How important is it for Lincoln Riley to get his first bowl win as a head coach in this game? How important is it for Oklahoma if they were to get a win over a, a very good uh, Florida team from the SEC in the Cotton Bowl? It'd be huge. I think it would have huge impacts. And, and I think, again, this is a perfect matchup for Oklahoma, too. Um, where Oklahoma's strengths are, where Florida's weaknesses are at. So it's, uh, it, it, it's a really good matchup. And two, like, it's another important thing, too. And I'm, I've made the joke with this, Brady, with somebody. Um, I kinda, we kind of need Spencer Rattler to play well. Because if Spitzer Rattler doesn't play well, we're gonna we're gonna go through an entire offseason of Caleb Williams being the starting quarterback at Oklahoma next year, and I don't want any part of that. That's not happening. Um, oh however, boy. However, I was I was talking about that, and someone told me, and they go, "Oh, you know, there's gonna be a quarterback battle next year," and I was like, "You joking? No." Well, this will be the first time where when Lincoln Riley tells you that in spring and tells you that in the summer and fall, you can kind of legitimately believe him because we all know Caleb Williams to be very good and we know Spencer Rattler to be very good. I don't want to entertain a quarterback conversation. Well, I mean, was did Lincoln say that there was a quarterback battle in 2017 when Baker was going into his third year as a starter and Kyler Murray was his damn backup? Yeah, but, like, everybody knew. It's I, not like – it's like it would be – I th uh, what I'm talking about is them opening this thing up and going through a quarterback competition. Yeah. Be different. Like there wasn't – there was a competition, you know what I'm saying, like with Kyler and Baker every day like they talked about. But it wasn't like unsure that Baker wasn't going to be the starting quarterback. Like How, how important How important is it that Tanner Mordecai, a level – a quarterback of the level of him, was here in Spencer's first year as a starter because – if Caleb Williams was a year older and Spencer gets benched in the Cotton Bowl for Caleb Williams, and let's say Caleb Williams goes out there and dinks and dunks all the way down the field and, put, and puts out would, some highlights. Well, would, against Texas defense, Caleb Williams is perfect. Yeah. Um, it's good for Spencer because he was benched, and he was benched with the understanding of this is embarrassing, I need to learn my lessons, but I know I'm, I'm going to go back out there. I'm, I'm not losing my job. But if it's somebody like Caleb Williams breathing down your neck and practice every day and you get benched for him, sayonara playing time in that case. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it, yeah, it's, uh, it's, a, uh, it's a unique situation now. We'll be heading into the offseason. Um, one last thing for me, found it interesting that OU and their players today were even entertaining a 2021 conversation. You noticed that? I didn't see any of that. Yeah, they were basically openly, openly talking about how good they could be next year. Well, I saw Creed Humphrey mention that. Yeah. He seemed to talk about it in the past tense, so any OU fans, or in, in, in the way that 
he's going to be viewing it as somebody on the outside instead of on the team. So any OU fans that are hope, clinging on to the hope that Creed Humphrey comes back next year because he te- – Jeremiah Hall gave it away. Did you know – have you heard? Jeremiah Hall gave Creed Humphrey's decision, decision away today. I did not. He said that we hope to send him off the right way. Well, there you go. Yeah, so it is what it is. But I guess that's how we'll end this one. Obviously, there's going to be no matchups pod, but we will still go to Vanessa House. I, I would probably assume – Keegan to kick off the new uh, way that we're going to do the podcast where our, instead of doing two free pods a week, and then of course having a Patreon pod, I think we're just going to do two podcasts a week. So Thursdays at Vanessa house is going to be the one that you're listening to right now. Uh, but everybody can listen to by subscribing to the inside OU podcast. And then you and I will basically either meet in person or over zoom and do some fun in-depth stuff, whether it be with film, with recruiting, um, what have you, whatever scenarios come about over the off season and put that on Patreon for our pay- for our awesome patrons. Um, it'll be both video and audio because I, fa- I found out midway through the year that we could share these screens and it makes film review that much more enjoyable and probably easier for Keegan to do. So um, looking forward to that. Also, we will be doing a normal the week of the Florida game, which I guess is next week, right? When is December 30th? That's in eight days. A week from tomorrow. So it's on a Wednesday. So, yeah. so I, I would probably assume, hell, Thursday, we might as well just do our, our matchups pod for Florida at Vanessa House. This Thursday? Yeah. We're going to be no, there. I'm not going to have enough time. Well, um, we, can, we can find something to do. To get into Florida, I would assume next Tuesday, right? You want to do the – we can do the matchups pod next Tuesday. Are you Tuesday. going to the bowl? I am, but it's – I mean, I'll travel down there the day of, so. Oh, yeah, it's a night game anyway, so that's – But cool. I will be staying in a hotel, actually. I'm going to be treating myself at the end of the season. We stay in a hotel down there. That, so we can do the uh, post-game show. Good call. Well, the Inside OU podcast will come, come at you live – in one way or another, and Keegan and I will do our best to let you all know about it. So, Inside. Yep. There you go. Everybody, thank you so, so much for listening to the Inside OU podcast once again. Thank you for uh, sticking with us this entire season. We had a lot of fun doing it, and we look forward to a fun off season, hopefully a fun spring, everything that comes about with that. Also, this will be the last time we talk to you guys before Christmas time. So, everybody, I hope you have a Merry Christmas. I hope everything is awesome for you. And now that I mentioned that, Keegan, is Christmas on Thursday? It is. I wonder if Vanessa House is even going to be open. We might have to do that on Friday. So, it, yeah, it is on Thursday because I think – no? No, no, Friday. Christmas Eve Thursday. Yep. I'm finding this out as I go along because I hate looking at calendars. It's one of my least favorite things to do. We will figure out what we're going to be doing. But until next time, everybody, have a Merry Christmas. Be safe. Have fun. See your friends. See your family uh, with precautions, of course. You know, you know what the world is like right now. But everybody, thank you so much. We'll talk to you later.